Hello, Sens fans, and welcome in to the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Brandon Piller, joined by Chris Parliament for today's episode. Today, we will take a deep dive into the Sens' impressive 5-2 win over the Boston Bruins last night. We'll talk about a great bounce-back game for Nielsen and the goaltending in the organization, how home cooking has led to success so far, Anthony Duclair, he continues to dominate, and we'll take a look at some of the Sens' prospects with aspirations of making their respective countries world junior teams. You're listening to the Locked On Senators podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. There's no place like home. That's the old saying, and I mean, it's true in many ways. Uh, ironically, I just got home from my vacation in Mexico last night. Partly, I'll be honest, I wasn't exactly stoked to be leaving the warm beaches and pool bars of Ocean Riviera Paradise to come home to a gloomy evening in Toronto. But it's great to be back on the pod, talking sense with my good pal, Chris Parliament. Chris, how were things when I was away? I mean, I was... It was kind of cool. I got a different perspective of the podcast uh, being away for the week and not being on any of the episodes. So I was a bit of a fan. I listened to the last couple episodes you and Ross did. Great job. What's uh, What's been going on since? Well, I'll assign some autographs for you later if you want. But uh, it's tough <laughs> to feel bad for you coming home from a sunny place like Mexico. You know, it's uh, maybe... Maybe don't complain to the people that didn't get to leave. All right, buddy. But yeah. uh, no, it's good yeah, to have no you back. Point. It was a good week, though. I mean, Ross and I got a couple shows out there. Um, the road trip didn't exactly go how it was expected, but uh, it was a good game in Boston or at home against Boston before the road trip, and then kind of much of the same, even better last night. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's be honest. The Sens, they hosted one of the best teams in the NHL last night in the Boston Bruins. They're the top team in the Atlantic Division and only three points behind the best team in the entire league. That's the Washington Capitals. And last night, that was the third matchup against the Bruins this season. With the other two, they were losses for the Senators in November. It was a 5-2 loss on November 2nd and a much closer game on the 27th when the Sens fell 2-1. This time, though, the Sens, they flipped the script and beat the Bruins 5-2 at home. So, Chris, what are some of the things that you noticed that the Sens did differently this time that allowed them to come away with the win? The word is opportunistic, because that's exactly what they were last night. You look at each one of their goals, and it was taking advantage of an opportunity that was given to them on that first one right away. Artem Anisimov hops off the bench during a shift, or during a, sorry, a shift change, and Joe Morrill was the defenseman just inside the blue line for the Bruins. Did not pay attention to that shift. Dylan DeMello, of all guys, who's kind of slotted himself in as a defensive defenseman, a stable guy back there that's going to kind of be the anchor of another guy that's pushing the pace. He came out from behind the net and threw probably a 100-foot pass, taped the tape to Artem Anisimov because he realized Joe Morrill was out of position. Artem Anisimov had the room to move his feet and then took advantage of the opportunity, leaned on his, I think it was Charlie Coyle on the back check, leaned on him a little bit, and was able to put it up and in. Um, Anthony Duclair, 
it was a nice shot. Tough to call that one opportunistic, but I mean, you look at it, it was on his stick. He didn't even stick handle and it was off his stick. He was just taking advantage of the time and space given to them. You don't always have to make a fancy play. And then to keep the trend alive, Tuka Rask tries to throw a puck behind the net. It gets cut off. Opportunity right there. Nemestikov out front to Tierney. He buries it in the empty cage for his first goal in 22, which is not a great number, especially if he's playing more minutes than Logan Brown. We can get into that a little more later. Ross and I did a lot yesterday. And then opportunistic continues. Two empty netters, and I love a little salt in the wounds on a division rival with like three seconds left, bearing another empty netter. There's a couple uh, looks coming off that Boston bench, but the Duke, Anthony Duclair, he don't care. He's just going to put it away if he can. Yeah, and you got to love that, especially with empty net goals. I mean, a lot of the time, uh, teams will try to try to give uh, players that have had trouble scoring, like a Tierney or a Connor Brown. I mean, both of them snapped their goalless droughts recently. But it's just funny, like, how classic. It's like a classic case of the rich get richer. Pajot nets an empty net goal. He's already lighting it up, leading the team in goals. And then, of course, Duclair gets his second of the game. Uh, scoring an empty netter there too. But you talked about how they took advantage of their opportunities, and that's the key to this victory. I mean, they played uh, really well. I thought uh, the biggest part of this win was that they got off to a good start. I mean, I missed the first two periods. I was making my way back from the airport. Luckily, I had a smooth time getting my bags. No traffic home. you got to love that. But I got home just in time for the third period. So I took a look at the game recap today and the stat sheet. And what popped out at me was that start that I talked about. They outshot Boston 14-6 to in the first period. And as a young team... They showed, uh, you guys had a, must have had a blast watching that Philly game. I caught a bit of it. When they're showing talented teams that they're not going to let them walk all over them. They're going to put up a good fight. So they showed Boston that they're going to put up a good fight early at home, scoring two goals uh, right in the first period. And they outshot them, I think, 14-6 to six in that first period. So that's got to help the crowd uh, get into the game. I mean, mind you, you'd hope there'd be a little more than 13,000 people at the Sens game, but all those 13,000 people, I'm sure, were just uh, ready to go in that first period when you get off to a nice lead like that against the Boston Bruins. Yeah, and it's taking advantage of opportunity. I'm, I already talked about the Artem Isimov goal, but it's that home cooking you, you mentioned. It's being at home. It's different than being on the road, and it's been a tale of two tapes for the Senators this year. They continue to get it done at home, and it seems to be the starts that are so much better. I mean, you before the I talked about it a little bit before before they went on that road trip, which was not one to remember. Let's say to say the least. They come back home and they play well again against a really good team in that division. It just seems like the feet are moving quicker. They start on time at home. There's just something about the familiarity that the Senators are able to hop into the game and hop into the game with some purpose early and not playing catch-up. That was exactly what they did last night. But another thing that was very good last night was when they scored, they kept the other team off the score sheet. We talked about that being an issue, quick goals coming back the other way. But it was mentioned last night, Going into the third period, there was a little bit of a push from the Bruins right at the end of the second there. And it was so important for the Senators to stay two goals up on a team like this heading into the third. And then I mentioned two empty netters. Um, You said the rich get richer, but that's another shorty from John Gabriel Pajot on his empty netter. And uh, that Bruins team is not very happy that that goalie got pulled earlier. They think uh, the big guys on that team, like Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, uh, David Pasternak, 
I mean, those guys are the guys that think they can get it done. They have the resume that says they've got it done in the past with the man advantage. I was a little bit uh, surprised they pulled the goalie there, down by two, of course, but if you can get out there and you already have the man advantage, why give them a chance like that, especially with John Gabriel Pajot out there? Yeah, well, I mean, they, they made things a little uh, closer, too. Jake DeBrus got that goal late. Um, so that was, uh, you made it ner- a little nerve wracking there. So it's always nice when uh, you have that lead, like you mentioned. And the crazy thing is the Sens, they did get off to that, uh, hot start, but after that first period, I mean, they were, they were letting the Bruins walk all over them. You, you mentioned how at the end of the game, the Bruins really turned it on, but really it was after the first 20 minutes, they turned it on too. Uh, the Sens were outshot 32 to 14 in the last two periods, and ultimately they were outshot 40 to 28 in the game. And let's not forget that includes 29 block shots. So the Bruins were they had their chances, but they just couldn't get anything in. And Chris, what kind of message does that send when this team is they're able to hold on and beat teams even when they're getting outshot so heavily? Uh, so, yeah, what kind of message does that send uh, when this team is having those kind of efforts? Well, it just shows they're willing to hang in games. We've mentioned it on the past before, or on the pod in the past, and we're going to mention it again in the future without a doubt in my mind. These guys are they're playing with that moxie where we might not have the high-end talent, but we're going to stay in games and we're going to do the things the right way. We talked about it yesterday on the show. DJ Smith wants this team playing gritty. And how do you not look down the bench when a guy like Mark Borowiecki is playing at 100% on every shift, throwing his body around, eating up pucks, getting in shot lanes? I think last night he blocked two shots on a shift that was like a minute and 15 seconds long in his own end. Uh, they made the joke on the broadcast last night that he was straight lagging it at the end of the shift, barely made it back to the bench, then stood at the end of the bench, puck went down the other way, out comes the Bergeron line again, here comes Boro again. You got you look down the lineup, there isn't a lot of veterans on this team, but when there's veterans like that on this team that fit into the coach's personality and the coach's traits the way that he wants them to, I mean, the young guy's got to follow suit. It's kind of an adapt or die type of thing. There's lots of guys knocking down on the door down there in Belleville. If you want to stay in the NHL, you got to move your feet and you got to work hard. Uh, it seems to be the message that DJ is preaching right now. And games like last night show that they're willing to do that effectively at home at least. <laughs> yeah, and you got to love giving the home crowd a show like that and keeping on the topic of block shots. I mean, you already mentioned Boro who's been just outstanding in all facets of the game even off the ice with uh, the whole Boro cop thing going on, but a guy that we don't really talk a whole lot about is Nikita Zaitsev and this guy had seven blocked shots, seven of the 29 last game. So you got to love when a guy like that, maybe he's not playing offensively like you would hope, but he's still, he's making his game work in other areas with seven blocked shots. He's just eating pucks. I mean, I know uh, last episode, Ross, uh, he had some high praise for a guy we all know and love. If you're a Sens fan, Anton Volchenkov, who made a living of eating pucks, blocking shots. So it's great to see when one guy is willing to put that much effort in and get seven in a single game. And we mentioned it, Boro, he's right there with six. So it's guys like that that are just willing to do the job. Uh, It's kind of scattered throughout the blocks. If you look up and down the lineup, it's kind of more the the penalty killers that are getting the blocks, which makes sense. But yeah, it's a willingness to play the game the right way. Um, We mentioned that 
guys like Logan Brown, you're going to get called out of practice. You're not playing the way that uh, DJ Smith wants you to. He, it ended up being politely, but I mean, he was told to do what he was supposed to do. And if he's not going to do it, he's not going to see a lot of minutes. Only played seven minutes last night. A guy like Jonathan Davidson only played five. So you get guys like Jean-Gabriel Pajot and Connor Brown up there in the 20 minute mark. They're the only guys that were up there, obviously, because of penalty killing. Brady Kachuk was right there knocking on the door of the 20 minute mark with 1916 plays last night but I mean guys like that they're doing the job the right way and that's why they're getting the more minutes yeah and I mean to stay on the block shots uh, comment if you look at nhlstats.com the Sens are fourth in the entire league in block shots they've got 481 the Islanders uh, they lead with 497 and it's just interesting to see if you look at the other teams that are in the top five six of block shots you've got the Islanders are first the Oilers are second, the Stars are third, the Senators fourth, Capitals fifth. Those are all really uh, successful teams this season that are blocking shots and the Sens are right there. Probably a big reason why the Sens are so high up in block shots is because they give up a lot of shot attempts and a lot of those do actually end up uh, making their way to the net, unfortunately. But it's good, like you said, the effort is there and they're really showing that they're working hard. Uh, to do whatever they can to, if they're giving up these opportunities, at least try to get a body in front of it to block it or deflect it. So that's always good news for a young rebuilding team. And despite giving up so many shots and shot attempts, the big bad Bruins, who are third in the league in goals for, they were only able to score two goals on Nielsen. And Nielsen, after the game, he had a really good comment praising his teammates' efforts And he said, it's great as a goalie to stand back there and see when the guys are playing so hard and sacrificing themselves and blocking shots and battling through it, even though they're really tired. So you got to love hearing some praise from your goalie when you're working so hard. A guy like Nikita Zaitsev and Boro, who got seven and six shot uh, blocks respectively. So, Chris, what did you think about Nielsen's bounce back game uh, against the Bruins last night? He definitely was the number one star without a doubt. I mean, he made 38 saves in what was really a bounce back performance. And Ross and I talked about it a little bit too with Andy being hurt for a while. Who knows really what's going on there? He didn't even get a full break against Philly because Andy had to come out of the game. So we had to play in relief in that game. It's It would be mentally draining to try and get yourself out of a funk that you're in when you're constantly being trotted back out there and kind of the games being thrown on your shoulders, especially with the young Senators team that seems to be giving up a heap of shots every single game. But I thought he was fantastic last night. Uh, A couple 10 bell saves, reaching behind him, pulling the puck out with the paddle. He was a gamer last night, and that's exactly what you need out of a goaltender. It's just something we haven't seen from him as of late. You mentioned as of late, we haven't seen that from him, and that's very true. Like If you look at his last four starts, Uh, against Philly that was a loss against Vancouver that was a loss Minnesota oh man was that ever a loss letting in seven on on that game and then of course the last time they played the Bruins when it was uh, uh, a 2-1 loss uh, there as well so that was four straight losses in a row for Anders Nielsen and this is a guy who you you're expecting next year at least is going to be your number one guy unless they have plans to bring back Anderson the way the team's uh, salary is laid out, it's going to be Nielsen, the number one guy, and Hogberg on that uh, one-way deal. So if Andy is out for a while, which we're not really sure how serious his injury is, 
Do you have confidence in Nielsen to make so many starts? And how do you feel about the Nielsen-Hogberg duo that's most likely going to be next year's combo going forward? Well, for this season, it's a little bit different because the expectations for the team aren't as high. There isn't an expectation that Honors Nielsen has to go out there and kind of weather the storm through a playoff chase. Uh, they're not in the hunt this year. I don't think that's anything that the Senators are looking towards. So Honors Nielsen's just got to go out there. And if he is going to take on that number one role, I think this is a perfect learning experience without any exterior pressure kind of on him to carry the load of this team to learn what it's like to play every single day, to go out there and be the number one guy and try and keep your legs underneath you, what the routine is off the ice, how much sleep you got to get, what kind of eating you got to do to get the job done. And hey, if Marcus Hogberg's right there along the way, what better learning experience for him as well? You got to watch a guy go through the ebbs and flows. He can pick up what he's going wrong. He's in on those goalie conversations with the coaches, trying to understand the ways to go throughout a season and earn that. So obviously Anderson being hurt is a blow to the team. But right now, I mean, if the tank is on, the tank is on. So it's it's tough to see a guy like Andy, who's been such a big part of this organization, get hurt. Who knows going forward what it's like, as you mentioned. But yeah, uh, Anders Nielsen and Marcus Hogberg, this is definitely a learning experience on a rebuilding team. Anders Nielsen, the nice thing is, he's an NHLer. He is a pro. So he does get it, but this is time for him to learn and kind of step up into that next role and see if he really can do it. Uh, moving forward, I don't know if we've seen enough from Marcus Hogberg at the NHL level to really be able to talk about that yet, but he's getting to the age now. It's kind of that cliche of 26 years old for a goaltender where you kind of start to fall into you can understand the game of the pro level and stuff like that. Obviously, there's some outliers that can jump into the league and compete consistently. But I don't know if we've seen enough out of Marcus Hogberg yet. Any time at the NHL level is is good time to learn. So I think moving forward, it'll be tough to say. But this year, it's all about learning. Yeah, and I mean, you've got two Swedish goaltenders, uh, Nielsen and Hogberg, so that's definitely something uh, that's that's good to see. They can help each other out for sure. And Nielsen, he's a 29-year-old goalie who's kind of bounced around the league, to be honest. I mean, he's played for... Uh, the Islanders, Vancouver, the Sens, Edmonton, St. Louis, Buffalo. And surprisingly enough, um, Ottawa now has been the team that he's had uh, the most starts for in his career with 38 starts for the Sens. Now he he had 36 with Vancouver. So that's a guy, like you said, that Hogberg can really learn a lot from. Whether he's playing a lot of games or uh, mostly just Nielsen is taking the brunt of the uh, workload going forward with Andy out. That's a learning experience for both of them, and Nielsen's going to have to get used to this kind of fire and holding this kind of weight on his shoulders going forward because that seems to be the plan in Ottawa uh, for the next year and at least for the the future coming up with Andy out uh, so recently. And hopefully, like you said, we hope Andy's injury isn't too bad and he's back soon because this guy's meant a lot to the organization and I'm sure is a presence in the locker room. So we hope that he's back soon so that uh, we can have at least one more season of Andy and Nielsen together in the crease. Yeah. Before we move on, I just wanted to hop in and say that the kind of the cool thing is you mentioned that both goaltenders are Swedish, but one cool thing too, that I don't think has really been touched on at all. And it goes kind of into what I was saying about learning and progressing together as a goalie tandem with Marcus Hogberg up there and Anders Nielsen taking over the number one role is Honors Nielsen is six foot six and Marcus Hogberg is six foot five. So you can teach that kind of style of goaltending to both these guys. Right. Honors Nielsen has good feet underneath him. He's a solid guy and he's quick with his pads. 
because he's so tall, it's nice that he's quick with those pads. And I remember going back a couple of years to when we were at the Rico Coliseum and we were watching the rookie tournament. That was one thing you really loved about Marcus Hogberg was the quick feet and his use of his pillows. So that's something exciting to kind of watch is maybe they'll start to play a similar style because of their similar stature. Hogberg can emulate Nielsen and like you said get that game down low figured out especially as a tall goalie and especially in a butterfly dominant league that uh, this new era of goaltending is turning towards in today's hockey so that's that's the deal with the goalies for now with uh, Andy being out that kind of shuffles things around uh, in Belleville as well so hopefully we get to see more of Gustafson and Decord in Belleville but Apart from uh, Belleville and Ottawa, Chris, anything else I should be caught up on? I mean, uh, there's lots of exciting news with the World Junior updates, uh, selection camps and rosters kind of trickling out as we hear who's uh, being looked at for different teams in different countries. What's uh, what's an update you've got for us? Yeah, yesterday Ross and I had kind of mentioned that at 4 o'clock yesterday, which would have been Monday, December the 9th, the World Junior roster would the preliminary roster for the U.S. team was released. And just kind of going through it, we mentioned that a couple players, Shane Pinto and Luke Lohite, may be involved in that list. And we were remiss to mention, friend of the show, Jonathan Gruden, was invited to the camp. Unfortunately, Luke Lohite did not get the invitation, but the Pinto Bean, University of North Dakota, Shane Pinto, he did get the invite And looking through this lineup, I mentioned yesterday that this U.S. team isn't going to be as good as ones in the past. I am just shaking my head at myself for saying that because you look up and down this lineup and there's some real players on this team. But uh, I think it's important to talk a little bit about the Senators. We talked to him last year, Jonathan Gruden, when he was playing for the University of Miami. Ohio, right? (laughs) The University of Miami, Ohio Redhawks. We talked to him last year when he was a freshman over there. Then he signed in the offseason, came over, and he's playing in my neck of the woods for the London Knights of the OHL. And he's having himself a pretty good season. So it's exciting for him to see, uh, hop into that kind of talk for the U.S. team. And it'd be really exciting to see him play for the squad. Yeah, and just uh, looking at this uh, U.S. team roster, I mean, you were saying how at first you didn't think it would be that great, but now uh, reviewing it again, you can see some real talent. And the thing that pops out to me, and we were talking about it a bit off air as well, is some of the size that this team has. I mean, just their decor alone. You've got uh, Keandre Miller at 6'4", Alex Rugula at 6'4", Matias Samuelin at 6'4". Like, that is some serious size for a World Junior team. And not to mention, all of those guys are plus 200 pounds. So, if anything, that, that decor is going to be tough to get by for any country, especially uh, Team Canada, who as we all know, will likely uh, be competitive with uh, USA as they always are and can't wait for those matchups come uh, come Boxing Day and uh, the New Year. And I just, I can't believe I said that yesterday because this team's boasting seven or, sorry, eight first rounders, a handful of second rounders. Unbelievable that I'd say that. But yeah, lots of size on this team. Lots of guys coming out of that U.S. National Team Development Program squad. Um, another London Knight out there, Alec Regula. You mentioned his size, six foot four, two hundred five pounds. How are you? These guys are these guys are going to be a good team this year, and hopefully, it's Pinto and Gruden being a part of that because it's always exciting to watch players like that hop into the lineup and be difference makers. 
Yeah, and uh, their goaltending looks pretty all right, too, with Spencer Knight, who's likely going to be the starter. I mean, he was a first-round pick, 13th overall in this draft, taken by the Florida Panthers. So this is this team is set up to do a lot of things really well, so that's going to be exciting to watch. Uh, anything else for you, Parley? Yeah, I'll just uh, get you caught up on the players that are Senators. Uh, Shane Pinto, he's played 17 games this year for, like I mentioned, University of North Dakota. And he's got 14 points in 17 games played. And then talking Jonathan Gruden, friend of the show, just to head back over to him and see what he's able to do this year. He's been able to put up 29 points in 27 OHL games this year. So he's kind of put himself out there as a, we kind of knew him and profiled him when he was on the show as a two-way guy. And that was what he was really interested in becoming. But he's showing at the OHL level, he's willing to put up points. 29 and 27, nothing to laugh at there. 10 goals, 19 assists. I'm excited to see what this kid kid can do. And as a fourth rounder, you always kind of got that soft spot for the guys that don't go quite high enough or as high in the draft, but they come in and they get those spots locked up on the world junior team. So best of luck to both those guys. Hopefully we see them going. And uh, like Ross mentioned yesterday, as we get a little bit closer into the world junior time on the calendar, we hopefully will have Sens Prospect, friend of the show, back on to discuss all these youngsters, get you fully ready for the best time of the year, world junior hockey. Yeah, and it's it's long overdue that we had uh, Henry Sens Prospect back on the show. Just just a wealth of knowledge about all Sens prospects. I mean, there's guys I've never even heard of that he's highlighting every night. So you got to love uh, uh, the work that he does, and he makes it easy on all of us to keep an eye on all things Sens prospects. If you don't already follow him on Twitter already, it's at Sens Prospects. Give a shout out for him there. And that pretty much does it for us, Chris. I mean, uh, that uh, the win against the Bruins, it's always nice to beat a division rival, especially at home. So you're coming in with some confidence as they head back on the road now, mind you, not too far, as they will play Montreal Wednesday, December 11th at 7.30. So we look forward to that, and we'll preview that for you tomorrow on tomorrow's episode of the Locked On Senators podcast. For myself, Brandon Piller, for Chris Parliament, This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.